Hello everyone and welcome back to World of Sharks, the official podcast of the Save Our Seas Foundation. If you love sharks and rays, you've come to the right place. This is a safe haven for shark nerds and ocean enthusiasts who want to learn more about our cartilaginous friends and the places that they call home. My name is Isla and every episode I sit down with experts in shark science, conservation, education and storytelling to take you on a deep dive into a different part of the wonderful world of sharks. Now, regular listeners of the pod will know that this year is a particularly special one for the Save Our Seas Foundation because we are celebrating our 20th anniversary. That's two whole decades of supporting world-leading scientists and conservationists as they work to turn the tide for sharks and rays. And you can hear a lot of them on this podcast. And in honour of that anniversary, World of Sharks is featuring each one of our core centres. We've already talked to Dr. Clover Mabin at the Shark Education Centre in Cape Town and Professor Mahmoud Shivji about the conservation genetics research that they carry out at the Save Our Sea Shark Research Centre in Florida. You can go back and listen to those episodes, they are out already. But today we are visiting the third and final centre by taking a trip to the tropics to meet the amazing team at the Save Our Seas Daros Research Centre in the Seychelles. The Daros Research Centre, or the DRC for short, and Daros Island and its sister atoll St. Joseph are located in the remote outer islands of the Seychelles. They form part of the Amarants Group, a small chain of islands known for its wildness. As you'll find out in this episode, this is an incredibly special place, absolutely teeming with life. The sheer diversity and abundance of species is pretty mind-blowing, so much so that Daros has been labelled a near-pristine wilderness and held as an example of what marine ecosystems could look like if we look after them properly. It is particularly important for sharks and rays, with important habitats that function as feeding and nursery grounds for countless species. And the same habitats bring numerous other life, such as turtles, reef fishes, cetaceans, seabirds, you name it. When people imagine a tropical paradise, this is likely what springs to mind. Clear blue waters, thriving coral reefs, seagrass beds, white sand beaches, and everything just bursting at the seams with nature, both under and above the waves. But the reason that Daros and St. Joseph have been able to continue to thrive is down to the hard work of the scientists and conservationists that have worked incredibly hard over the years to protect it. Previously, more than 90% of the natural vegetation had been converted to coconut plantation, and people were also extracting things like guano, logging mangroves, and curing fish and turtle meat for the local market. However, Daros came under private ownership in 1974 and later in the 1990s became a location for a research facility where conservation and restoration began. It later came under the stewardship of the Save Our Seas Foundation and last year the DRC celebrated 10 years of scientific research and conservation. During that time, they have created a substantial knowledge base of the wildlife in and around Daros and St. Joseph, which has then been used to inform management plans for the region. Largely due to the presence of Save Our Seas, Daros and its sister atoll have been allowed to recover and flourish, along with all of the life that lives there. 
Now, we're actually going to do two episodes on Daros because there is so much to cover. So in a few weeks, we will have an episode with Robin Henrietta, who are the Director of Research and Programme Director for the Centre, where we will get into more of the history of the DRC, the role of Save Our Seas there, the research they have done and the protections and the policies that that research has informed and some of the challenges around that. But today, we are sitting down with research officers Ellie Moulinier and Diles Pouponneau, who are going to give us more of an introduction to Daros and the natural environment of the Seychelles, the incredible Amarant Islands, and the huge diversity of life that these islands support. Because this is World of Sharks, we are going to have a focus on the sharks and rays that live here, of course, but we also shine some light on the other marine and terrestrial life that can be found here. We're also going to learn from Ellie and Dillis about some of the research and monitoring that they carry out on a day-to-day basis, especially around the sharks and rays that you can find there, what their job as research officers actually entails, and just a quick heads up here, you will be extremely jealous because it just sounds idyllic. Um, But I mean that in the nicest way possible because I cannot imagine two better and more passionate and lovely people for the job. And we'll hear what it was like for them to grow up in the Seychelles and where their connection to the ocean comes from. And this episode actually comes full circle because at the end, we discuss the DRC's initiatives to encourage young Seychellois who will become the next generation of conservationists working to protect this incredible environment. I love this conversation. These are two people who you can tell just love what they do and are so knowledgeable and just such a joy to listen to. So I'm going to stop talking and let these two transport you to their beautiful home and place of work. So close your eyes, feel the tropical breeze on your face and imagine the juvenile sharks swimming around your feet in the shallows. Let's dive in to our episode. Hello, Ellie and Dillis, and welcome to the World of Sharks podcast. Hello! Good morning! (laughs) Thank you both so, so much for coming on the podcast. We're so happy to have you on, and we're going to learn all about the incredible place that you've grown up and that you work in now. Like, I'm very, very excited to learn more about it. But I know you guys have listened to the podcast before. And before we jump into that, we will be learning a little bit more about you. And my first question is the same question that we ask every single guest. But I imagine it's going to be particularly hard for both of you, given where you live. (laughs) So you must have had like so many wonderful like experiences in the ocean but is there one that stands out as particularly memorable or special for you? So, Dillis, I will come to you first. Okay, yeah. Uh, not an easy question. I uh, sat down and uh, thought of, oh, first time diving, first time snorkeling, but maybe that one uh, memorable one which was quite embarrassing, actually. I was out uh, at sea (laughs) for a few weeks on a film trip. And uh, out there, we saw species I had never seen in my life. Whales, uh, dolphins, 
And uh, it was my first time seeing all cats, actually. <laughs> and we saw them from a distance. Everyone got excited, uh, taking the camera to film, take pictures. And I was on the side of the boat and I heard a big blow. <laughs> and I looked down and I saw this massive animal looking at me. And I started screaming. <laughs> and people who know me, they know I get... Um, a little bit overexcited with, <laughs> with things, with marine animals. And um, that orca was looking at me. So it had seen me before <laughs> I had seen it. And uh, I connected with that animal. <laughs> it was scary and exciting at the same time. But the way I screamed, the director and everyone was like, what, 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 what? I'm like, uh, it's there. <laughs> So that was one moment for me. And uh, yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget that. It was so huge. I mean, we know that they're big animals, but when you see them right there, uh, almost the size of that boat, that was something <laughs> that was, yeah. And I, I don't think that's an embarrassing thing, like to react to wildlife in that way, especially when you've got something like an orca so close to you and like looking right at you. I think there's a lot of people, myself included, that would react in the same <laughs> in the same way. Like it's a completely natural like human reaction to seeing something like that. Yeah, the size of them you can't prepare yourself for that especially when they like come up right next to the boat and they give that kind of big blow it's like super super impressive i would scream as well and i have screamed <laughs> and cried as well <laughs> but ellie how about you what was what was kind of a experience that stands out for you okay i also sat down and thought, thought hard about this question because i mean we all love to see megafauna you know and Coming to Daros, I've had the chance to really see a lot of megafauna. But thinking about it now, um, I used to work as a scientific observer for the Seychelles Fishing Authority. And one time we were um, up north, a few degrees up north. And, you know, we were just finishing up the fishing set, pulling in the net. And I was just like looking at the guys, you know, throwing the smaller fish overboard and like bycatch and stuff. And then out of the blue, I saw this big black animal jump out of the water. And I was like, oh my God, what is that? It was like a big black dolphin, but it wasn't a dolphin. And I had no idea what it was. I mean, I worked on a Spanish vessel, so majority of the men were Spanish. So I asked the fishing master like, what is this animal? And he told me it was a calderon, but I didn't know what a calderon was, but it turned out to be a false killer whale. And it was the first time I'd seen it. And I was like, oh my goodness, I still don't know what this animal is. I cannot comprehend, but it was amazing. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing to see because they were just like there near the boat, just feeding on the fish that was being thrown in the water. And mm -hmm. this particular one, came from underneath and jumped out of the water with this like big skipjack in its mouth. And I was like, man, this is incredible. 
all megafauna encounters are incredible, but I think this one was yeah very particular. It was amazing to see. Oh, amazing! I always think as well when they like jump out when you see them breach because you're often just seeing them at the surface. You see the whole animal and you get a sense of just like how powerful that that animal is when it does that, right? Incredible, yeah. That's probably something that marked me yeah yeah very cool i'm sorry that question is like is like really hard for um like for most people that i ask it to on the podcast but we're hopefully gonna like get into some other experiences that you've had a little bit later on in the podcast but like i was also interested to know how the ocean became a part of your life has the ocean always featured throughout your life it has yes in seychelles we're surrounded by water obviously but living on Mahe, like the main island, I live in Victoria, so you like only see the sea from a distance. But my grandma lives near the beach. And, you know, being at our grandma's place all the time, we would always be on the beach. My family, I come from a family of fishermen, almost all my uncles are fishermen. So we've always been in the sea, you know, always, even it's just playing there in the water. But eventually when you grow up, you know, you start snorkeling, you want to go over the reef, you want to see what lies beyond the reef. So yeah, I have spent a lot of time in the water and I guess just being around people, around like the fishermen, my uncles, my brother and all, you always have that influence. Oh, let's go in the boat, let's go snorkeling wherever, let's go see. So yeah, the ocean has been a big part of my life and I think that what kept me going, even like growing up in this field of work. And Dillis, is it similar for you? Well. Yeah, I'm from Prale. Prale is the second largest island, uh, smaller than Mahe, and majority of the people live along the coast. And uh, I don't live far from the beach, like two minutes from the beach. And um, we'll always go go to the beach, go in the sea, go fishing, uh, go buy fish where the fishermen fisherman comes in. And uh, we'll, me and my sister will do a little catch and release. <laughs> We didn't always catch the fish to eat. We'll take one and leave the rest because our parents will always tell us, ah, this is so small. The the, the parents are looking for them. <laughs> really, really put them back. Oh. <laughs> and you're you're small as a kid. Uh, yeah, you 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 wouldn't want that fish to uh, be taken from its parents, you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was always involved in with the school. Yeah, I would always go to the beach uh, for whatever reason, to relax, to a picnic, everything, yeah. yeah. Amazing. And did, did I get this right? Because when I was doing my research, I saw that Prolin, is that the is that where coconuts come yes. from? Yes. Did you get that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did read that right. <laughs> it just sounds like idyllic, but I thought I grew up close to the sea. But yeah, we definitely didn't have it two minutes from our door. Both of you are research officers at DRC and I wondered if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what your role entails and I'm going to kind of combine these two questions a a wee bit. Ellie, I'll I'll ask you first but Dillis, feel free to like jump in but what does your role as research officers, what does that look like and what does that include and involve? Our role as research officers, Dillis and myself, is to help with the... long-term monitoring, like daily or weekly, monthly, long-term monitoring that goes on on Daros and in St. Joseph as well. 
Um, we are a small team of four, but uh, we go out in the field all together, you know, collect data, go out fishing for sharks, um, looking for mentors, basically all the all the long-term monitoring. We assist visiting researchers that have targeted projects. We assist them with collecting their data, you know, logistically skippering, taking them into the atoll. Um, we do admin work. So yeah, we kind of involved in almost everything that goes on, even just cleaning up. We've got interns and UNICEF students and kids camps, like everyone who comes, we're always here assisting and being really hands-on. So that's kind of what our, our job is. Day in the life, in our lives is changes every day. You have plans <laughs> and then things never go according to plan. So you wake up and be like, oh, I'll have a day in the office. Actually, you want it because the weather's looking really nice out. So it's just a big adventure every day. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that feeling. That was me yesterday because we had a we had a heat wave in Scotland yesterday, and I was like, I do not want to be in the office at all. But no, it sounds it sounds amazing, and I think like a lot of people like crave that sort of variety in their jobs. So not every day is the same. I think that's that's really special to like have in your in your occupation for sure, and it keeps things interesting. And I love it how you said as well. You you were like, oh like we monitor the mantas and sometimes we go out for shots as if that's just a normal <laughs> day to day which of course it is for you I'm I'm jealous like it just sounds amazing it sounds incredible and I'm sure with all jobs there's downsides to it but yeah it just sounds really cool but we are talking a lot about the Seychelles and we'll be kind of going into Daros and St. Joseph and I just wanted to give our listeners who have never visited the Seychelles a sort of idea of what the environment is like. I'm sure a lot of people have seen images online, but I want people to be able to imagine sort of where you are. For someone who has never visited, how would you describe the natural environment of the Seychelles? So the Seychelles Islands, there are about 115 islands here, but they're all different. even if we're in the same archipelago. Each islands have their own uniqueness. They all have something that you probably wouldn't find elsewhere or they just look different. The islands are divided into two. We have the granitic islands called the inner islands and uh, these islands have mountains. Mahi, Prale, Ladig, Silhouette, Fuigat, for example granitic islands but then the rest which is majority of uh, the remaining 115 are coralline islands for example Daros and St. Joseph so there's smaller islands further out further down down south and uh, I would say the ocean is uh, the biggest highlight no Hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of coconut forests on the Coraline Islands, like outer islands. Beautiful beaches, incredible. Most of the outer islands were converted to coconut plantation in the past. So the native Mm -hmm. trees, species, for example, are no longer present unless they have been naturally rejuvenated or replanted. But uh, Seychelles in general, blue sea, white sand beaches, green vegetation. <laughs> so there's these yeah. three colors that you you see, you envision when you hear Seychelles. 
Yeah, yeah. And I I have definitely Googled and dreamt about going there. Like you say, there's just a lot of biodiversity and especially in the marine environment as well. And that is particularly the case when we talk about Daros and when we talk about St. Joseph. Um, or Daros especially is said to be a pristine wilderness and... I know there is, when we talk about that in like this day and age, there isn't such a thing as a truly pristine wilderness, but I think Daros is about as close as you can possibly get to that. Like, why why do people call it that in the first place? And why do we find so much life and productivity in the waters that are surrounding Daros? Well, Daros and St. Joseph both have proven to be important and productive ecosystems. You just jump in the water and you see the coral life and it's incredible. But the St. Joseph Atoll is like a whole ecosystem in itself. And within that, there are different, different like habitats and ecosystems that you will find that each and every one of them have their diverse array of species that inhabit these uh, ecosystems. And all together, it's just like a mix of diversity everywhere. And it's, yeah, it's, it's so productive once you, once you go in. But you can see that it's really an important nursery habitat for juvenile species, sharks, rays, fishes beds, everything. And since 2012, um, Save Our Foundation, like the Daros Research Center, has been tasked to preserve and showcase the ecological integrity of Daros Avenue and St. Joseph Atoll by um, restoration, research, conservation, and education. So I think since then, having um, the DRC in the Atoll, you know, doing the research, protecting this area has ensured more protection for these species, I guess, just by, you know, having people there surveying the area, watching out for poachers and just being aware of different activities that are happening in the area. This has really helped to keep this area pristine and prevent fishing. I mean, that fishing is a big part of the economy in Seychelles and it's been going on for years and years, different types of fishing. So obviously there has been like exploitation of certain species, but particularly in St. Joseph Atoll, the presence of DRC here, I think all these years have been very important in preserving the species found. It's a pretty amazing place. Yeah, everyone that I've spoken to who have experienced Daros just say how special it is as a place and just that you can't understand it until you've actually been there I suppose. I mean what was it like for the both of you when you first came to Daros like did it feel the same way for you guys as like how everyone else kind of experiences it which is like wow this place is like this place is really special. Yeah definitely uh but uh, both Ellie and I have experienced similar environment, but we know what's uh, unique with this place. Like I mentioned, all these islands are different and uh, we, ha- we were aware of, uh, we are aware of our islands and we know what can be found where. And coming here, it was, ah, we're here, you know, the Mentas, the Mentas are 
you wouldn't find the mentas elsewhere. They're they're here, the Amirats, Dara, St. Joseph, and uh, it's definitely exciting. It's definitely <laughs> special for us because we know that uh, it wouldn't be the same elsewhere. To me, Dara, St. Joseph, yes, very special, but there are just two islands found in the Amirats group, and that's a, a group of islands found further south of Mahe. And the Amirans in itself, to me, is just full of mysteries waiting to be discovered. And when, like, coming to Daros, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm on Daros, but we're in the Amirans. We're here in this wilderness that not a lot of people know about, so we get to explore it. And that's when, you know, exploring Daros and St. Joseph itself, but also diving and exploring the Amirans brings that like thrill of adventure like what are we going to see it's so wild there's like a one kilometer channel between the the atoll and the Daros, and this channel is just wild it's crazy wild what you're going to see in it so <laughs> yeah it's always just one big fascinating adventure when we go out because you never know what you're going to see so it's yeah, it's really a special place to be in and to work, to get the opportunity to work in. It's really incredible. Mm -hmm. I, th I think that's pretty much everybody everybody's dream when they go to like university or they decide that they want to work in like the field of uh, research and conservation is that it's everyone's dream to go to a place that there are still areas that are relatively unexplored and there are still mysteries around the wildlife that work that lives and uh inhabits that area yeah I, ca I can completely imagine that being just just a really just being special enough in itself just to be in that region this is not us boasting it's just us <laughs> telling our personal <laughs> opinion so it's yeah it is pretty incredible no but like I think like I don't think like I don't I, I wouldn't call it boasting but I don't think talking about it in that way is like a bad thing like I, th I think we get so bogged down now by the news of how degraded some habitats are you know a lot of marine environments now we hear about how badly damaged they've been through human activity or you know just how much and I, and I'm sure like I'm, I'm not saying that like Daros and like the surrounding area I'm not saying that that isn't completely untouched by humans because of course like there is human activity there but I think it's lovely for people at home to hear that there are still places like this that exist. Does that make sense? Yes. And uh, places like Daras and St. Joseph, they're perfect examples of how you can turn things around. Both islands were converted to coconut uh, plantation. Uh, the Amirates, these islands here, are known as good fishing gra uh, grounds. And a lot of fishermen would come here to fish because they know how it is. But... Uh, like Ellie mentioned, having the presence of Seivautis here and the work that we have done to convert these islands from coconut uh, plantation to conservation, this has helped to rebuild uh, the habitats and bring them back to the near natural state. So all these animals here, like majority of them, they have recuperated, I can say. Mm -hmm. Uh, the population are increasing again. For example, the birds here on the islands. We, at some point, uh, certain birds weren't nesting because 
of rats, which were brought by, by people, for example, and doing rat eradication uh, program here has allowed the space for ground nesting birds like uh, white-tailed tropic birds to nest again, and their numbers are increasing, like the wedge-tailed she-waters. And having all these animals and all their roles back in the ecosystem mm -hmm. is just helping the ecosystem to live again, to, yeah, flourish. to flourish again. Yeah. And I wanted to spend some time like talking about the different species that we can find around the area but first I thought we could you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier Ellie but I thought we could talk about what kind of habitats that we can find like around Daros and St. Joseph. Well um, uh, we do have a beach that's you know around around Daros you've got um, intertidal zones we've got seagrass flats we've got a lot of seagrass flats around the St. Joseph Atoll as well we've got a lagoon there's mangroves coconut forests native forests really uh, different habitats that you know are all interlinked together and there are many many species that occupy these many different habitats yeah, we've got mm. coral reefs. You've got oh my goodness, the deep sea. Yeah, the deep sea. <laughs> the drop off is not far. Yeah, amazing yeah. coral reefs. Like Dilly said, the drop off is not far from northwest of Saint Joseph at all. So yeah, I said it's quite uh, quite the diversity, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we're gonna get into that diversity. And this is a sharky podcast. Um, we do talk about other species, but. I wanted to spend a little time talking about like what kind of species of shark that we can find because I know there's there's quite a lot, isn't there? <laughs> we've got um quite a few species of shark in the shallows. We've got the black deep reef sharks. We've got the sharks. We work with the sickle fin lemon sharks <clears throat> in the in the atoll. We've got grey reefs, we've got bull sharks. We've seen a slit eye. We were doing some brobs, brob deployments, and we saw slit eyes. There's been tiger sharks around. So, yeah, really, there's quite a few species around. Mm -hmm. And I'll leave links in the show notes because the DRC has its own social media page. And you can see videos of this where there, you can go like paddling in the water and there's just these amazing little sharks just like swimming around relatively close to shore as well you can be like knee deep in the water and they're kind of all swimming around your legs and things which is pretty pretty amazing you've also mentioned the manta rays there's quite a large population of manta rays why do they come to this area compared to Maldives I wouldn't say we have a large population I'd say we have the largest <laughs> We have the largest population in Seychelles. So in our Seychelles cemetery gallery, we have about uh, 400 mentas that have been cited and ID. So they have uh, an ID number, we have their patterns, and they, they all have names. But out of the over 400, more than 300 of them have uh, been cited here around Daros and St. Joseph. So majority of the mentas in Seychelles are found here. And they come here to feed. So during the day, they come around, especially in the northern side of Daros. They come here to feed. The ocean is very productive. There's a lot of zooplankton in the water. So they come here to feed during the day. And uh, at night, uh, they go out in the deep. We are yet to understand the drivers of zooplankton around here. But we do know that 
everything is connected with this environment that we talked about before, how the terrestrial is connected to the ocean. We have the seabirds and uh, the poop, the guano is really good uh, for the ocean, fertilizes the ocean and enhances productivity. So we think uh, this is the reason why the ocean is so productive around here and uh, why it is so important for us to protect both the terrestrial as we would want to protect the ocean as well. So along with the feeding, we have two cleaning stations around the north northern side of Daros where they clean. We have one that has been confirmed and one that we're actually investigating right now. But we are seeing the mentas cleaning there. So cleaning stations are requirements for the mentas and uh, why we also think they are coming here. And then I also read that the mantas themselves play an important role in delivering nutrients to the reef as well. Is that is that right? Like, can you can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So mantas, they feed on zooplankton and uh, in return, they, they poop. <laughs> it fertilizes the, the reef. I mean, a lot of species on the reef then rely on these nutrients that are cycled by the mantas. So this is one big important role of having mantas in the ocean. Mm-hmm. I, for some reason, I've never thought of a manta ray pooping, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's because it's the... <laughs> they don't poop. Like, because they're such graceful, intelligent animals, you don't necessarily think about that. <laughs> we play with the mantas a lot, but they haven't pooped on us yet. Yeah, we haven't seen it. <laughs> I've seen one picture here, but uh, they haven't, no. <laughs> Something that the DRC does is carry out a lot of research on these animals. And while we're on the topic of sharks and rays, I wondered if you could give us some examples of just some of the research that you carry out on sharks and rays in the region. Yeah, so we've got um, uh, one long-term mark recapture study that we're doing. We work with the juvenile sharks in the St. Joseph Atoll. And we work with two species of sharks. That's the black tip reef sharks and the cyclopin lemon sharks, but just the juveniles. And with this mark recapture study, we collect um, data on their growth movements. We give them a PIT tag, which is a passive integrated, integrated transponder tag. So once we recapture the shark, we know, okay, we've captured the shark, you know, at this time a few months ago. So we remeasure them and we, we collect this data to understand better how they need you and use the habitat and what they need from it as well. Um, we do the same mark recapture study with juvenile rays. We work with three species of rays in the atoll. That's the mangrove whip ray, the feather tail ray, and the porcupine ray. And then outside of the atoll, we have a large array of acoustic receivers. And with the receivers, we have transmitter, acoustic transmitters that we surgically insert into the large animals like uh, sharks and turtles. I think that we put on turtles as well, you know, to, this is to track their movements like around Daros and St. Joseph, but the broader amirons as well. Um, uh, with the mentas, like David said, we have the cleaning station. So we monitor this cleaning station. We've got a camera that goes out that's get, that gets deployed it runs for four days taking 
pictures every 10 seconds. So this allows us to monitor the cleaning station and the resident mentors that are around their behavior, what they're doing. But with the mentors, we also do um, weekly boat surveys. So we go around the atoll, around the island. Sometimes we go to certain parts of the atoll as well along the reef. And we do visual surveys. If we see mentors around, if we do, we get in the water with them with a GoPro. We catch their, um, we get an ID, we free dive underneath them, get their ID, you know, just collecting all of this data, putting into our database, finding patterns, finding, you know, what could they be doing and all. So, yeah, that's a bit of the monitoring that we do with the sharks and rays. But I may have missed a few things, Dennis. No? Uh, you missed the plankton pool. Oh, plankton pool. There you go. Okay. Dennis can will explain her, her remote and research. So as part of my job, well, your research as well. So other than our long-term monitoring and targeted projects here, both Ellie and I have been given the chance to lead our own independent project. Uh, I'll speak about mine and then Ellie can uh, mm -hmm. talk about hers. So I'm studying the critical prey density threshold. So manta rays will only begin feeding when there's a th certain threshold in uh, plankton uh, density. And uh, my project is to quantify that. So I do that by whenever we're going out to do the manta surveys in the boat, when I see a manta, whether it's feeding or not, I will collect a sample, which I bring back to the lab to calculate the biomass and the biomass data, as well as the behavior of the mentor feeding will allow me to determine that critical threshold that uh, the mentors will start feeding at here around Darius and St. Joseph. Oh, cool. So they basically, they wait until there's like a specific concentration of plankton in the water before they'll start using their energy on feeding. Yes, just like a majority of the filter feeders, like basking sharks, for example, mm -hmm. uh, whale shark, <laughs> yeah. So along with uh, quantifying the prey density threshold, I'm also studying the drivers of plankton densities around here. So collecting environmental data, such as temperature, salinity, that will help us better understand what brings, what drives the mentors around here, tides, for example, and uh, where exactly they're feeding around the island, which will help us better with managing the oceans around here, managing the marine protected area that we have been designated already yeah yeah that's really cool because yeah baskin sharks do do that and they also so they select as well we think anyway they select the the fattest juiciest copepods to eat so they'll like wait until there's like specific concentrations of them which makes sense <laughs> it makes complete sense but yeah i didn't actually know that about mantas that's really cool and ellie so you you must also have a, an individual project as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? My project works alongside the long-term mark recapture study because I want to find out, um, well, establish like baseline study of diet composition of the two juvenile species of sharks that we work with in the atoll. So 
after we've finished doing the workup for the mark recapture study, I use swabs and collect sample of fecal DNA or fDNA as we call it. So that's just like a little swab in the cloaca, um, ensuring that there's no environmental DNA or seawater like in the cloacal area. So we really dry that. We take a little sample and this sample will allow us, not using stable isotopes, but using um, metabarcoding to understand what these two species of shark are feeding on. And it'll allow us to understand a bit better um, about how they use the different resources whilst they coexist in the same areas. I want to do this over different life stages of sharks as well. So we're also doing that when we do acoustic tagging because we sample bigger sharks so we can understand like, are there ontogenetic changes in diet along life stages? What are they eating? Is it changing? It makes us understand like how they use different habitats. So there are a few questions within within this uh, within the project itself, but that's basically it. So establishing like this baseline study. So it's it's really cool. It's a really an important um research topic and it'll just allow us to know more a bit of our sharks in the atoll and what they really need from us and how we can you know provide that to them so i think it's really cool and interesting <laughs> both super interesting and incredibly important projects that both of you are doing to find out more about the sharks and rays around Daros and like the surrounding areas as well especially because you know in general we know so little about sharks and rays and I think one of the coolest things about the DRC which we'll talk about with Robin Henrietta as well is just that you have this opportunity to do these sort of really long-term monitoring projects where you can spend time researching these animals you know over a relatively long period of time I mean Daros has already you know got like a over a decade's worth of research and yeah it's it's just like it's it's amazing so like one thing that the both of you and of course like daros isn't the drc isn't just about research one thing that both of you and the whole team are really involved in is encouraging more young uh to engage in conservation can you tell us about the daros experience in the children's camps the daros experience is uh, such a great opportunity for seishawa students to get a chance to come here and experience this kind of environment that you don't see on Mahe in Pralin, for example, all the rays, all the sharks, all the turtles. Each year, we launch the competition. So the competition varies every year. For example, the year before, we had students. They needed to invent a superhero to solve environmental problems. And uh, last year, uh, they had to pick uh, one of four species that we suggested to come up with a, a campaign, an education campaign for them to teach either their peers, their family, or anyone in the community about the endangered species. This is a chance to see how much they know 
and how interested they are. And then they get to come here when we have different programs. We have both the theoretical part where we have lectures, uh, presentations here in the lab about different topics, different kind of environment, different species that prepares them before going out in the field and really experiencing in the environment. Yeah, there's so much you can tell and teach kids, but I think having hands-on experience, touching and feeling is what really makes an impact in having all these young kids come here and learn about the threatened species, but get to see them and like get to touch them or the activities where we catch the juvenile sharks, we have them feel the identicals, you know, it's that really hands-on learning, I think, that really has an impact being in the outdoor office and not necessarily always indoors learning is really crucial for these kids. And uh, having been part of such programs, I can tell you that it does work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you're living proof of that. Uh, like kids respond so well to actually experiencing these things for themselves and also it helps to build their sense of responsibility well it makes them feel like they actually have an active role in conservation in doing something um and like we were talking about this with um clover as well who runs the shark education center in cape town and we were saying that it maybe not necessarily these kids will go into like conservation and research as they get older. Some of them might go into business or some of them might go into other unrelated areas, but they'll have that foundation of knowing what a pristine wilderness should look like or what a marine environment should look like and what we should be striving for. And that'll kind of help them carry that forwards. So that's what we need as well as as well as having conservationists and researchers. We also need people to take those principles forwards into other fields as well. Um, but then there's also people who can't visit Daros um, or are maybe sitting at home thinking, oh, well, you know, I can't, I can't go to the Seychelles, you know, I can't see these amazing places. But how, how can they connect with this kind of, this amazing environment? And what lessons do you think that we can learn from Daros and St. Joseph and the surrounding area and what can we take from that and apply to other marine spaces like around the world? I will say um, using media to reach other people around the world. I mean, media is very powerful, images and videos. And uh, we try our best here to do the best that we can to show the world how such environment is and what are the things that we do here to uh, protect them and prevent further damages to such environment. Uh, hoping that people would take the lesson and apply elsewhere. I think Seychelles as a small island state, we've already, we're in the process, you know, um, the Nature Conservancy Act is already out where Daros has been declared a zone one marine protected area or like a marine park. So I think as a small island state, being so small, we're doing such big moves now. I mean, it has taken a lot of time, but within that time, there's so much that 
that is changing and it's only continuing to change. So a lot of young Sichuan now, a lot more Sichuan now are more involved and are more aware that, you know, our habitats need protection. So we're all working together. And I think on a global scale, like a, when you zoom out and see the bigger picture, we are an example for lots of different island states that, that, you know, can improve their conservation. And it, it hasn't been an easy, an easy road, but we've all come together and we're all part of that change. So I think um, there's a lot of people, because we have a lot of researchers that come to Seychelles or scientists, you know, do their research here. So they know about it, but seeing what we're doing as a nation for our, you know, waters, yeah, we're, it's, it does really have an impact. Media is showing this to the world. The world knows about it. And I think we are, an we are an inspiration to a lot of people by the conservation work that we are trying to do and we are pushing for. Yeah, for sure. Because like you say, you do get a lot of researchers that visit, but there's also, you know, there's people around the world that I think we all need to sort of look at our local areas and like where we live, where we've grown up and really push like you say like really push for the protection in the local area to get our marine spaces to a level of protection where those habitats and those species can recover just like what you've seen on daros there is that like message of hope there of what things can be like if we just give it the chance i think a lot of people can take inspiration from the Seychelles and from what the Seychelles is doing and also the process and we'll talk about that more with Robin Henrietta in their episode and that it's not it's not an easy process and it's you know it's a long-term thing but there are countries and there are regions that are doing it and Seychelles Seychelles is one of them and and like you said Dillis as well like people can connect with the DRC especially over social media um, and we'll put links to that in the show notes for everybody that wants to go and follow these guys on Instagram. And you're on TikTok as well, are you? No. No, unfortunately not. Or maybe fortunately no. not, but not yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you're definitely on Instagram. Yes. Yeah, so Instagram, Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. And we have our website as well. Yes. Yes, you do. So I'll post links to all of those in the show notes so people can go and check you out. Please do. It, it just makes my day seeing you're like your happy posts of life on daros it's just yeah it's a really special place and you guys are really special and i love seeing oh, you nice as seeing well thank you yeah. but it is we've come to the end of our time and this has been such a lovely conversation and i feel like i've learned so much about the seychelles and daros and the natural environment and the marine environment and all the sharks and rays and all the like amazing biodiversity that you have there um, and I just have one final question for both of you. And it's a it's a bit of a silly one, but it's it's a fun one at the same time. <laughs> and that is, if you could be any species of shark, ray or skate in the world, what would you be and why? I'll take on answering this question first because I don't even have to think about it. <laughs> I would be a I would be a tiger shark. If I was ever, nice. if I ever reincarnate, I'd love to be a tiger shark. Um, I love the tiger sharks. There's not a lot of tiger sharks in Seychelles. I would say, I don't know if there is or not, but I've always wanted to dive and see them. 
upfront and personal. I've never seen one before, but I think they're really amazing creatures. They're very beautiful to look at, first of all, lovely patterns. They have a nice shape as well. They're one of the biggest sharks you will find. Um, the fun part about them, I think, is that they don't really care. Like, they're fairly dangerous, I would say. But they eat all sorts of things. <laughs> they may eat, like, carry-on and garbage. <laughs> so they don't really care, you know. They've got, like, this guy, I think, this not caring mentality. But, um, yeah, I would love to do research about them in the future. Part of me wanting to dive the army also is to see the tiger sharks and, you know, see how big they get, see them underwater and... See that they're actually there and very little research has been done about them. So yeah, I'd be a tiger shark and I'd love to get to research about them one day. Great answer. Tiger sharks are very, very cool. And and yeah, they're they're so big and so badass that yeah, they just have that kind of real like I don't care kind of attitude. You don't bother me. I don't need to bother with these little things. <laughs> But yeah, Dillis, how about you? What what species would you be? Um, I wouldn't want to be a shark or a ray uh, because people would want to eat me. <laughs> but I guess being any animal would be the same. But I would either uh, want to be a filter feeder, like a, either a basking shark or a whale shark because of the yummy food. <laughs> But I think maybe I'd want, I'd prefer being a hammerhead shark. I think hammerhead sharks are more badass than <laughs> I think their features are pretty badass. They have they're, pretty badass features. They're, they're sexy sharks. <laughs> they're powerful, the way they maneuver, they're, they're fast, yeah. They're yeah, yeah. with the cephalophore, the advantage of um, finding food easily. I, I think I'll, I, I would bully a lot of little, little creatures. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, after them, <laughs> but yeah, they're 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 powerful, they're graceful, and yeah, like an inception, they're they're sexy sharks. <laughs> maybe maybe we need to have like a poll on the Save Our Seas uh, social media, which is like which is more badass, a hammerhead or a tiger shark? That's not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no yeah i think being a being a hammerhead would be would be very very cool and especially because of their like senses as well i just want to i want to be able to experience what it's like to have your eyes so far apart and be able to see like 360 degrees i think that'd be really cool i mean you know in the ocean one big advantage would would have would be having eyes like the hammerhead shark so that you can see what's behind you can see all around you yeah. <laughs> what's in the middle <laughs> should be very useful very useful in the sea um but yeah so with that we have come to the end of our podcast ellie and dillis thank you so so much for your time and for teaching us all about this incredible environment and all the all the all the life that lives there it's been an absolute pleasure to have you both on the podcast thank you yeah it's been it's been a pleasure thank you for having us thank you for approaching us um yeah, it's it's been a pleasure to it's, speak about, you know, our jobs and yeah. what we love to do and share this to the world. Yeah, it's it was it's pretty amazing. Thank you so much for this opportunity. This podcast was brought to you by the Save Our Seas Foundation. It was hosted and produced by me. 
Isla Hodgson. Our amazing visuals are by Jamie Silver. Our beautiful logo is by Nicola Poulos. And the wonderful jingle you can hear right now is by David Knight. A enormous thank you to the amazing Ellie and Dillis for coming onto the podcast, giving up their time and teaching us so much about Daros, St. Joseph, the Amarants, the Seychelles. I just had a great time and I'm so grateful to them. You can follow the Daros Research Centre on Instagram and Facebook. It is at Daros Research Centre, all one word. And you can also follow along with Dillis and Ellie's adventures. They are on Instagram on at Dillis Seychelles, all one word. And you can find Ellie at at Miss underscore Tropics. Please go give them a follow. Their photographs and videos are just beautiful. And you will learn so much from them, including about the sharks and rays that you can find there. And thank you at home for listening. If you like this episode, please be sure to rate, review and subscribe. It helps more people to find us and find out about how amazing sharks really are and the people who are working to save them. You can also get in touch if you have a question or a topic you want us to cover or you just want to say hi. We love hearing from you. You can email isla at saverseas.com or you can find us on social media. We are at Save Our Seas on Twitter and at Save Our Seas Foundation on Instagram. And we're on Facebook as well and TikTok. <laughs> Alrighty, have a awesome week and we will see you next time.